Hello and welcome to the Pastcast. I'm Calm Henderson. Coming up on this week's episode, I take a look around HMS Belfast, the one-time warship that's now moored on the Thames, and find out about the recent renovation work that's gone on there. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by The Past, a brand new website that brings together the most exciting stories and the very best writing from the realms of archaeology, history, heritage, and the ancient world. You can subscribe to The Past today for just $7.99 a month by visiting our website at the-past.com forward slash subscribe. Now, this week, HMS Belfast is welcoming back visitors after nearly 16 months of closure. Moored on the south bank of the Thames in the very heart of London, Belfast is the ultimate warship experience and now boasts of refreshed exhibition spaces, crew member stories as well as various interactive sites. Earlier this week I went aboard the Belfast to have a look around its nine decks. While there I got the chance to speak to Rob Rumble, one of the Imperial War Museum's creators, as well as Daniel Schnabel, branch operations manager of the ship. I spoke with Rob first inside one of the ship's many function rooms, which during my visit was doubling up as a bar, so apologies in advance for the sound issues. We were even interrupted by a tannoy at one point. Anyway, I began by asking Rob if he could tell me a bit more about the history of Belfast, from its construction in the 1930s to its conversion into a museum ship in 1971. Well, the history of um, Belfast uh, covers 25 years of active service and uh, British maritime history. Um, Belfast was... um, one of the town-class cruisers, originally developed during the mid-1930s to police Britain's um, shipping lanes uh, throughout the British Empire, um, to protect Britain's maritime trade, um, and Belfast and the town-class were built specifically to be able to counter the new classes of large Japanese cruisers, at that time being commissioned into the Imperial Japanese Navy. So Belfast was launched um, on St. Patrick's Day 1938 at um, Harland Wharf Shipyards in, in Belfast and um, was commissioned in August 1939 just prior to the outbreak of the Second World War. Now Belfast, although designed for service in the Pacific and the Far East, was um, joined the home fleet um, in British waters to contribute to the naval blockade of of Germany and the continental European uh, coast. Belfast's wartime career though um, almost came to a quick end in November 1939 whilst whilst working up um, gunnery exercises um, um, Belfast uh, detonated a German magnetic mine um, laid by the U-boat U-54. The explosion was so powerful that Belfast's keel was broken and the 170-ton gun turrets were um, were shaken from their mounts. In fact, the ship was almost lost and it was only the quick-thinking of the ocean-going target tug close by and the fact that they were close to um, Rosyth that Belfast could be salvaged and um, and taken taken back to port. 
It was decided to rebuild Belfast and the ship was in refit for almost the next three years. Completely rebuilt, new anti-aircraft systems, new radar systems and finally recommissioned again in December 1942. So Belfast then spent the next um, 18 months um, on the Arctic convoys sailing between the UK and the Arctic ports of um, of northern Russia, Mamansk um, and Archangel. And it was during this period that Belfast was involved in perhaps its most famous um, engagement, the Battle of North Cape on the 26th of December 1943, where um, Belfast, along with uh, other units in the Royal Navy, engaged and sunk the German battleship Scharnhorst. Following the Arctic convoys, Belfast um, went back into refit and was ready to lead the bombardment group of Sword and Juno beaches during the D-Day landings. Uh, in fact, Belfast fired some of the first shots at German gun emplacements behind Gold Beach at 0527 on the morning of the 6th of June 1944. Belfast stayed in the Normandy area for the following month supporting um, bombardment of um, German forces as the Allies slowly pushed inland from the uh, from the D-Day beaches. Once the Normandy campaign had progressed further inland, Belfast was refitted again and finally prepared for service in the Far East and the Pacific against the Japanese. Um, new air conditioning systems were fitted to allow the ship's company to live in relative comforts um, in the tropical climates of, of East Asia. Belfast um, embarked for the Pacific in July 1945 and in fact um, was crossing the equator en route from um, Ceylon to Australia when the United States dropped the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and uh, Nagasaki and the crew of Belfast um, celebrated what was initially known as VP Day, Victory in the, um, the Pacific, on the 10th of August 1945 in the Port of Fremantle in Australia. So following the surrender of the Japanese, um, Belfast's purpose with the Pacific Fleet changed. Um, taking the surrender of the Japanese in Shanghai um, enabling the return home of British and uh, Commonwealth um, internees held by the Japanese and then from then onwards um, flying the flag for the British Empire in East Asia, territories such as uh, Hong Kong and Singapore which following the liberation from the Japanese the, the British intended to restore as part of their um, pre-war um, colonial empire, although the world by 1945 had, had clearly changed and uh, would, never be, would never be the same again for, for the British Empire. So Belfast um, sailed between Hong Kong, Singapore, Shanghai, Japan, supporting the Chinese nationalists during their civil war and otherwise showing that Britain was back and, um, and and that there was a, um, uh, a bright future for the British Empire. However, the Cold War was 
had changed everything from 1945 onwards and Belfast was um, docked in Japan when North Korea invaded South Korea in June 1950 so Belfast went back in went back to war went back into action as part of the United Nations forces um, um, supporting the resolution by the UN to um, to liberate South Korea from communist aggression and in fact Belfast um, busiest period of active service was during the Korean War um, she fired over 8,000 um, six-inch shells um, against communist targets and um, was in action for a total of 404 days over an 18-month period. In fact, um, Belfast guns were, were fired so often they had to be, they were worn out and had to be replaced at uh, another refit in, in, in Singapore. So once the Korean War um, once the, once the armistice was signed in 1953, um, Belfast's future was un, was uncertain. The Royal Navy um, was exploring its, its new its new post-war and Cold War role in the world, and large, big gun, six-inch gun cruisers were uh, expensive to run, expensive to crew. And, and and slightly outdated as well. So Belfast um, joins the reserved fleet. However, by the mid mid 1950s, the threat from the grow the growing Soviet Navy. But by the 1950s, the the growing threats from the Soviet Navy meant that the Royal Navy chose to completely refit and rebuild Belfast um, up to date with the latest in um, in modern technology to to make the ship fit for the nuclear age the uh, the ship was um, rebuilt with a new forward superstructure um, all completely enclosed and um, and airtight the um, the decks on the port and starport were enclosed as well um, which in theory provided um, Belfast with nuclear, chemical and biological protection. So, you know, the, um, the, the, the ship was designed to be able to sail through a nuclear fallout cloud and for the crew to be safe um, inside with um, filtered air conditioning and uh, uh, technology um, in, in ensuring their survival. Upgrading electronic warfare, radar technology, um, sonar technology, um, new latticework masts were fitted to replace the earlier tripod design just to fit all of the uh, electronic equipment. And then Belfast went back into service um, in, in East Asia um, and took part in exercises with the Southeast Asia Treaty Organization, so the the equivalent of NATO for the Pacific and Indian Ocean areas. Um, until 1962, when Captain Morgan Giles, the final uh, captain of HMS Belfast in active service, took the ship on a world tour around the um, around the Pacific, um, East Asia, North America, and the Caribbean, and uh, and then finally back to the UK for the last time. So Belfast again joined the reserve fleet and was used as an accommodation ship. Um, at Portsmouth before finally 
um, being earmarked for scrapping in 1969. Now, Captain Morgan Giles, by then an Admiral and also um, an MP in the House of Commons, um, put together a plan with the then Director General of the Imperial War Museum, Dr Noble Franklin, to save Belfast for the nation. And the the funds were raised, the, um, the right people were spoken to in the Ministry of Defence, and, um, and Belfast was saved for the nation and towed to her present birth in the Port of London in October 1971. And um, other than a couple of trips to dry dock, she's been here open to the public ever since. Next up, I asked Rob about the various renovations that have taken place on board Belfast during its enforced closure over the course of the pandemic. Um, so in, in the um, in the year or so that we've um, we've had to to refit the ships whilst we've been um, closed to the public, we've taken the opportunity to really rethink how we tell Belfast history, the history of the conflicts the ships served in, and through. You know, through the experiences of the of the sailors who served in her, the um, uh, through their through their diaries, through their photographs, through their memoirs that we we hold in uh, IWM's collection, we decided to um, reinterpret, um, which is a, a sort of a museum term for re-displaying um, two deck first, as the as it features. Um, Many of the areas that the crew would have um, lived in, the messes, the, the galley, the, the sick bay, the bakery, all, the, all of the spaces, the spaces that the crew would have um, needed, to, needed to function. Um, so we changed, um, we added in um, new stories of, of the sailors who, who worked in, in Belfast throughout its uh, 25 years active service. Um, supported by their their photographs, their letters, their diaries, we've added in some um, film stories as well in the, of the Arctic convoys and the Korean War in the sick bay. Again, um, using um, you know real experiences of the crew during those conflicts and um, film footage from our archive collection. So. For example, um, in the sick bay, we've chosen to focus upon the story of um, Sergeant Lieutenant uh, Robert Anthony Rowan, um, known to everyone as Tony Rowan, um, and um, his experiences of the Korean War, taken from his um, his memoirs, his letters, and uh, all the interesting documents that um, his family donated to IWM um, a few years ago, and. This provided a really vivid account of what it was like to work in the sick bay during this during this conflict, um, and you know it, it allowed us to tell the story of this relatively unknown conflict compared to um, yeah, D-Day in the Second World War um, in, in 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 a new way with new stories and. Um, and uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I really hope that uh, our visitors enjoy engaging with the stories of the crew and um, learn how Belfast contributed to 25 years of you know, of British maritime history, because you know it's still relevant today. Um, Britain being an island nation is 
completely dependent on maritime trade for its prosperity and to this day that trade is protected by the Royal Navy and it was the same uh, during the 20th century as well and um, and you know uh, Belfast is a, uh, a veteran and a witness to to that um, fascinating period of uh, Britain's maritime history. Later on after another look around I caught up with Daniel Schnabel branch operations manager at HMS Belfast a role he took over just as the pandemic struck as he explains. I, I joined the ship Back in January of uh, obviously, the, uh, no, I'm just trying to think. Actually, that would have been last year. Um, and obviously, I was here with my pre- uh, with my predecessor, who had been here for 17 years. And I was starting to explore uh, the ship, going through, have a bit of a handover, get from my field. My my background is in generally museums, so you can imagine it's quite interesting learning about uh, the protocols, the various things you're dealing with a a floating museum, floating museum warship. Um, so it was interesting for there, and obviously the pandemic came in, um, going through that handover there, and that that meant that we had to rethink things uh, come come March time, uh, and obviously that meant that you know all of our branches and all of our museums, including HMS Belfast, has, had to uh, close down following following the government rules. Uh, so that was uh, a, a bit of a test for everybody. Um, we still had always a presence on board. Uh, so that was security 24 seven um, and making sure that the ship was safe and then obviously we were ready to once we once we knew we'd secured funding and things were going forward and we knew that other things were going to happen uh, with construction around the country and stuff like this uh, the Imperial Museum decided to take this opportunity to start doing some work um, not only conservation work but also reinterpretation uh, a look at the ship also making sure that we're looking after the fire safety we're looking after uh, emergency lighting uh, flood lighting so we can go to a different color for anniversary days various things in this kind of way looking at our public offer so whether we're going to have a a cafe what we're going to have in the cafe whether it's got a historical significance so all those projects that were always there we had this opportunity to do that while the ship's going to be closed and we haven't got public on. So now we're ready to, to actually open it up and uh, start to see people come back through and see things that they might have remembered or a new part of the history and the part of the story as well of the ship. Yeah, I mean, it must be quite nice to finally have people coming back on board again. And looking it will around. be. Um, it, it definitely will be. Um, it, the, the main thing is, uh, is about it is that that's what's been missing. Yeah. Um, people exploring... And it's n- not just only our visitors, but it's also the veterans, our tenants on board. So whether that be the White Ensign Association or the City of London Sea Cadets, who also parade on here as well, uh, having them coming back on board as well, um, welcoming people for events uh, once, we, once we're uh, able to do that in, in its full capacity. Uh, all that is missing along with our general public who love to explore, maybe come back with relatives that have served, who've mm. been on board, whether they've got a connection to military history, whether they've got a connection to the ship, or they just really want to go around the large ship with nine decks and uh, see some of the things that we've got inside here. So that's been the bit, that's been the piece that's been missing. Uh, and for me, obviously with my career, working with that with, with general public, uh, that's bit that's been missing uh, part of my role, yeah. uh, essentially. So um, looking forward to it, definitely. Then I asked Daniel about how the pandemic affected the progress of the renovations 
and what is being done to make the ship safe for visitors in the coming weeks and months. What we've had to do is, uh, with, with, as with all projects um, that have been going on across the country, when we've been looking at what we've been doing here, we've had to look at how our, our, we're managing COVID on board um, and how we can make sure the project goes forward. So my role is has been not only a bit of uh, staff management but also contractor management and that meant that we've had to not only have our risk assessments in place to make sure that people are safe on board but also that we are starting to look at when, when we were doing the construction phase and the, and the building phase and area that we kept people separate so they can carry on their work, that they were wearing masks, that they were sanitising, they were doing all those protocols and that they had separate work areas so that no one group of contractors or persons would affect other persons actually working on here and uh, towards the conclusion of the project. So a um, bit of a juggling act. But the nice thing about it is that everybody was respectful of it and they all realised that yes, it, it is a bigger picture thing. We're not only keeping ourselves safe, but also uh, themselves as well uh, and anybody else that might be around. So it was uh, it was tough, um, but it's gone through. As to now, obviously we're looking at how we're going to be opening up to the public building that confidence with them, making sure we're following the protocols that are needed. Um, obviously, they can sanitise, they can go through, because the ship being closed, it, it wouldn't have been uh, that practical for people to explore, because it is a, 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 com, a, you know, yeah. a more confined space. Yeah. It's very hard to social distance in there. So within the current guidelines, we're, we're obviously looking at that with people wearing masks, their ability to sanitise and go forward and, and, and explore the ship. Uh, but we're now at that point that when we open, we're able to, to let people still explore, but also feel confident and safe and that we've been not only, we, not only cleaning as we're making sure that uh, they, they, uh, they can see it and, um, and, and enjoy it as well. Finally, here's Rob again with more details about Belfast's reopening and what visitors can enjoy if they come along. HMS Belfast uh, reopens to the public again on the 8th of July 2021 and um, we're really looking forward to welcoming our visitors on board again to um, to see some of the, the new displays, to um, to have a, have a go at steering the ship on D-Day, to explore the galley, to um, find out about what Belfast did during the Second World War and during the uh, Korean War and to really meet um, some of the sailors in terms of their stories, their experiences um, and discover what, what they did during Belfast history so you know it will we hope you know, we believe it you know it'll be a great family day out and a great way to um, to uh, discover Britain's maritime history. That's all for this week. Thanks very much to both of my guests. I do encourage you to go along and see HMS Belfast, especially if, like me, you've never been before. It's a fantastic piece of maritime history, and the Imperial War Museum has done a great job in making it a safe environment for all visitors. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing to us and sharing it around. The Pastcast is available every week on Spotify, Anchor, and from wherever else that you get your podcasts. We hope you'll join us again soon.